Hey, Sandy, over to you. Thank you, worship team, for doing such a wonderful job tonight. bit worried that nobody's claimed these glasses yet. But. Somebody asked Bishop Leslie Newbegin once what the point of a daffodil was. And he replied that the daffodil exists to glorify God. And as I looked at those throughout this session just now, each of those exists to glorify God. And if I may say so humbly, so do you. And I was so touched by so many of those words. It's very costly, you know, to come up. Because the enemy whispers, you know, no one's going to listen to you and they're going to think you're rather stupid and it's not very theological and it's not all that stuff. But go for it. And God was glorified through those testimonies. And that's your job. And the Christian life actually is intensely simple. You know, we make it complicated, as you know. And you remember when Mike Pilavachi felt that the worship was getting, Tim Hughes wrote that it's all about you. Because it was getting so complicated <laughs> that nobody felt able to do it. And I was talking about last night about the model for ministry that we have. The model is we just put hands on people's heads and we pray for them. And if God turns up, something happens. And if he doesn't, nothing happens. Well... We need a model that anybody stumbling into the place can look at and say, is that all you do? I could do that. Whatever you are, whether you're doing prophetic words or ministry or worship, or, it's, it's all about you. And um, if somebody, I remember one of the early Wimber conferences, you know, in um, Henry Trinity, Brompton, and uh, John Wimber said to me, uh, there was a word of knowledge for asthma, which slightly embarrassed me, because we don't call it asthma, and they do. And um, so John said, there's a lady over there with asthma, will you go and pray for her? So he could see that I was slightly wondering what to do. And so he said, just put your hand on her head and command the asthma to go. So I didn't know whether asthma would respond to in quite the same way or not. But I just did what he said. It's rather like when I was given an iPad, the nice man who gave it to me said, just do what it says. I tried that with this computer, do what it says. The trouble is I can't always understand what it's saying, but never mind. <laughs> do what it says. So I went up to this dear lady and I said, uh, you know, you, you come forward with a word of knowledge of, uh, for asthma. Would you like me to pray? And she said, yes. So I prayed and I commanded the asthma to go and it went. Nobody was more surprised than I was. And <laughs> And John Wimber told me years later, he said, I saw at that moment that you were hooked like a fish. You, you, you get attracted by the stuff. And I wouldn't want to go back to church life as it was for anything. It doesn't always happen. It doesn't always work. We don't see the things we'd like to see. But we're not going to stop. <coughs> Just as we didn't stop, don't stop preaching for people to give their lives to the Lord and when Peter preached the sermon after Acts 1, you remember in Acts 2, 3,000 people were converted. Well, we nowadays have 3,000 sermons, and this may be an exception here, and we're very thankful if one person's converted. But we're not going to stop, are we? 
We're not going to stop praying for the sick and, um, and doing what we do and what you did. You, you people coming forward? It's wonderful. Fantastic. It's such an ex example. And uh, I bet there were many more of us sitting there thinking, mm, I wonder if I ought to be doing that. But the great thing is it doesn't matter. The Lord understands and he forgives. But next time, you come up. Because you've now learned that the skies don't fall in and you don't get head bitten off by Jamie. Or, and, and then you do it. And that's a wonderful thing. I want to read to you a prophetic word that um, we had years ago at a conference in Edinburgh about the church. And um, this is what, how it went. It was at a prophetic conference in Edinburgh, actually, with the prophetic people. But, and I think it's true today. I somebody asked about the prophetic. The prophetic is something that you, you didn't think of for yourself. You started to speak, or it may have gone on for weeks. Every time you pray, you, you feel this thing growing inside you. It's like a baby, I, I think. It just sort of grows, and you start writing it down. I would keep a journal if I were you, along with your small group. Keep a journal and pray through some of these things and say, Lord, is this you? Is this you? Is this you? And take it to somebody that you feel is responsible for you, um, the leader of your group or the leader of the church or somebody to say, help me, because I keep getting these things. I'm asking for them. I keep getting them. What do you think? This is a prophetic word, and I think it came out of weeks of prayer, not just a one-off in a session, which is good in its way. It's going to take a radical church to reach a radically lost world. The world is not only lost, it is radically lost. It's almost beyond redemption, except that no one is beyond redemption. But Satan has woven such a web of chains and bonds that you would almost think that it was impossible. Yet nothing is impossible with God. The Lord is therefore raising up a church that is a radical church. You know the world has got used to the church as we knew it. A church that is tame, knows its place, doesn't speak out of turn, doesn't rock the boat, and doesn't make waves. Just a well-behaved church fading into obscurity. But that's not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is raising up a radical church. And then he added this, and I think it's true for all of us, but particularly true as he said it. You precious young people here will probably lead the way because you do not have a whole lot of unlearning to do. You don't have years of precedent of doing it without wind where it's hard rowing. Now that the wind is blowing almost gale force, you know, and you are putting up your sails and wanting to go for it, as you should, as we should. We're told in 1 Chronicles, you remember, that one thing distinguished the men of Issachar. They understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. And there are men and women of Issachar about. But something needs to be done.
Now, I don't think that it's... Um, I, I, I would say that, as you could imagine, but I don't think it's just the young who are capable of doing it. We are capable of doing it if we smell the coffee and understand the signs of the times and make way for some of these young people to do what God is calling them to do. It's when I, when I started at Holy Trinity, what really, really I noticed about Holy Trinity Brompton in those days was that there were no young people there. We had a congregation of about 170. They were all elderly, terribly nice. And just as I said again last night, just dropping off the perch every year, one by one. And with those sort of numbers, you don't notice it. You may notice individuals that are no longer with you. And I noticed it because I took the funeral. But it wasn't happening. And uh, I remember particularly, um, John Collins said to me when I took over home, and I said to him, have you any advice for me? He said, well, he was very sweet. He said, no, no. I, I, but I would just say this. Never underestimate their intelligence. Never overestimate their knowledge. And it was such helpful advice. Most people in many churches don't know anything. It isn't that they're not capable of understanding, it's that nobody tells them. And what I think we need to be encouraged to be told is that there is a crisis. And this is the moment for the church to rise up. A radical church. It listens to the Lord and does what he asks you to do. Mary was right, wasn't she, when she said to the people, do whatever he tells you to do. She wasn't sure what he was going to tell them to do. And actually, he said, fill up those urns. Shouldn't seem very profitable, but they did. Whatever he says to do, you do it. And the opportunities are around here. And we who are, as it were, uh, entrusted the overall presiding nature of the church. That's what ministers are. They preside, don't they, at, uh, at, 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 on these occasions. They're presidents. They're not bossy dictators. They're presidents. We need to see what individual members of the church are being called to do. And let it encourage it, encourage it to happen. I mean, what are the needs? Uh, there's a lovely man up in our part of the world in East Anglia. He started a, a, an organization called Who Cares? And um, he and his young team, um, Rob Tovid, he's, he's a delightful young man, he goes all around with his young team. They go into houses on estates all over the place. They knock on the door and they say, um, what is the one thing that really bugs you? that worries you, that concerns you. And they start collecting. And then they start looking at ways in which we can, they can alleviate that. It may be poverty, it may be hunger, it may be the children, or it may be, it may be anything. The schools, it may be... I remember hearing, we had a lovely family in our church called the Walkers. They were directly descended from some great friends of the Booths, uh, General Booth and Catherine Booth, William and Catherine Booth, were great friends of the Walkers. They used to stay there from time to time. And um, on one weekend, apparently, uh, Catherine, uh, sorry, Mrs. Walker, they were all Mrs. and Mr., watched out of the window while William Booth was walking around the garden. And at tea time, she apparently said, um, Mr. Booth, well, I happened to see you walking around the garden. What were you thinking about? 
And William Booth replied, I'm working on a plan that will bring blessing to the whole world. And the Salvation Army was born. Now, you may be called to do that. You may be called just to get the shopping for the neighbor next door, which is very demanding and boring because uh, you're probably very busy. You haven't time. <laughs> but what does she need? She just needs her shopping done. Okay, who's going to do that? Whatever it is, it brings glory to God because you're doing it in the name of Jesus. Now, I want, if, if I may, just in the last few minutes, in a sense, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Because, again, it's the simplicity of it that I think is so encouraging. And um, 1 Corinthians 14. And the paragraph set in my Bible is headed, there were no headings as you know in the original, but it's headed orderly worship. But this is in the original, it's Paul's letter, and um, these letters were the way in which the apostles taught the local churches. Obviously they were there much of the time, but when they weren't there they sent letters to encourage them in how to go on and continue and to, and to be a blessing to everybody. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, St. Paul says, when you come together, everyone... Now, just may I pause for a second. This is the only instruction on liturgy that we have in the Bible. The only thing that tells us what we might do when we come together. And how often does it happen? It's not a criticism of you or of anybody. I'm just saying a radical church will go back to the Bible and say, why aren't we doing this? Where are we not doing this? And let me say straight away, I think we can only do this in a smaller group than this. I personally think that, but you may say that's a cop-out. I think it's very difficult in a group of this size, in which case I would want to make sure that we create a group of a smaller size. At, at Holy Trinity, we had the three groups, the, the big size, the celebration, which is church growth language worldwide, it's not us. Um, Pete Wagner, the professor of church growth at uh, Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, he, he was talking about this years ago. All over the world, it's a group of roughly 20, 25 to 30. The numbers don't really matter. Somebody once asked Lou Grade, apparently, what two and two is. Lou Grade, who was the chairman of ITM or, what it, or whatever he was. And he very shrewdly said, are we buying or selling? <laughs> <laughs> so the numbers don't really matter. But it's a sort of group in which everybody can know and be known by everybody and new people can feel at home in. With, with small groups, it's very difficult to get into them. You may say, oh, you can easily get in my group. When we went to North London, to Tollington Park, I was assured. They had about eight small groups, and I was assured by all of them they were open to anybody. They loved new people. They didn't. <laughs> Although they thought they did, to be fair. But any new person who came in discovered instantly that there was a long history of relationships and history and and um, activities and shared experiences, which is what friendship is. And uh, every Good Friday, I think, of the look that Jesus must have given his mum at the bottom of the cross when he said to her, to John, look after her, and her, John, look after your son. It was shared experiences going back, certainly, 33 years for Jesus. And that look said everything, in a sense. 
And we need a small group like that. I think that's true, what I was talking about before. But this is a bigger group in which we can experiment, not having to pray out for the first time in front of however many people there are here. Not all of whom who can hear, and not all of whom want to hear. Not you, of course, but in other settings. So I think these three groupings are very interesting and very important, and how you do that, I don't know. But you can be encouraged to do it. We, we did it straight away when I got back from California. We invited two or three of these small groups to get together and meet every fortnight. Oh, we don't, no, no, we don't, we don't, because um, I, if we do that, then we won't get our small group. Okay, I did a deal with them. You can have your small group one Tuesday, and you can meet, please meet in the bigger group on every other Tuesday. So we had small group, big group, small group, big group, and then Sunday was the celebration. Now, why do I go on about that? Because I feel so strongly about it, because when Nikki and I were traveling for about 10 and 12 years all over the world with our families, we lost sight of it at Holy Trinity, and that middle-sized group got overtaken by what I think <coughs> was a side wind from the cell church movement. And we lost sight of the importance of a group of about 20 people, 20, 25, which was the size of most of the house churches at St. Paul was writing to the house at the church of, or at least the church at the house of Lydia or Chloe or whoever it was. And the experts, the theologians tell us that those house churches probably had about 20 to 25 people in them. So they could do this sort of thing. So what was it that they did? When you come together, everyone has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Now, may I just ask humbly, does everyone include you? <laughs> Don't be too hasty. <laughs> All these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what he said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. That's to say, nobody should be allowed to say, I have to speak. You don't have to do anything. But you're encouraged to offer what God is doing in you and through you for the strengthening and the upbuilding and the encouraging of the rest of the church. Now, I think I mentioned before lunch that I would say something, if I may, uh, not to upset anybody at all, but just about this question of tongues. St. Paul makes a distinction in 1 Corinthians 14 between the private use of the gift and the use in public. I, I would call this in public and, and in, in and the three groupings, in the presence of other people. Um, if you're interested in it, look across, certainly to my left-hand side of my Bible, Chapter 14, verse 18, St. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, which was saying quite a lot to the Corinthians, because as far as we can tell, they did nothing else, which is why he wrote so much correcting teaching to them, of which his letters are mostly entirely corrections to the practices that have grown up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So he's making a distinction between the private use and the use in public. Now, I'm only talking about the private use for the moment because there are instructions about the public use. If somebody was to pray in a tongue, it, 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 we ought to make space for interpretation. 
And Paul says, let two or three have messages in tongues, but if nobody's going to interpret, then stop it. And I don't think St. Paul is saying it's sinful. He's just saying it's a waste of time. Because when we're together, let's speak in English and build one another up. Because if I stand here and do nothing but pray in tongues and there's no interpretation, it builds me up, but it doesn't do much for you. So the time for me to do that is before I get here. I was preaching one Sunday night um, and a young man came up to me with blazing eyes. I'm sure you don't have blazing eyes in your congregations at all. But uh, he, I don't know what I I'd said something about um, um, Pentecost and things. He said to me, are you saying I have got to pray in tongues? I said, no, not at all. I said, you don't have to even to be here if you don't want to. So he said, well, what are you saying? I said, well, all I'm saying is, wouldn't you like to? So um, I can remember, so well, he said, well, that's quite different, which it is. Why would I want to? And I took him through these three verses, and I wanted to do that with you, because I want to encourage you. Because the enemy is, you know, we've always got to do our own propaganda. The enemy is always doing his propaganda all the time. And we have lost, in our denomination, we've lost several generations through uh, failure to teach what St. Paul is teaching about the life of the Christian community. Some of you may know, and I'm not making a party political point, I'm really not, but the Pentecostal church in this country grew out of the Anglican church. The whole church council were filled with the Holy Spirit in Sunderland in 1903 or 4, and they got thrown out for doing what the Bible says they should do. God was so kind and merciful, it happened again about 30 years later, they were thrown out. And the Pentecostal church in the UK grew out of that community. So, why would anybody want to pray in tongues? Well, bear with me for the moment. I, again, I, I, don't, I forget what I said it tonight, or last night, or, or today, or at all. <laughs> I do think you can, I think you can get to heaven without ever having prayed in tongues. I do think that. But I can't think why you would want to. Because it's such a precious gift. Okay, so why would I want to pray in tongues, he asked me. So I said, look here, let's look at the verses. Now, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians 14. For anyone, oh, verse 2, verse 2, verse 2, 4 and 14 are the ones we need to look at. Verse 2, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men or women, but to God. Well, now, again, it's not children's church, so you don't have to shout out. But what do we call it when we're speaking to God? Prayer. It's a form of prayer. It's not a psychological release or gobbledygook or nonsense or something that weird fellowships down the road do, to which we only go if we're in deep trouble. <laughs> but for the rest of the time, we just muddle along. It's a form of prayer. Please bear that in mind because it's a very precious and important aspect of God's teaching. Verse 4, St. Paul says, If he who ever speaks in a tongue builds himself up, edifies himself. Perfectly true. He goes on to say that he who ever prophesies builds up the church. I'd love you all to speak in tongues, he says. I'd rather have you prophesy. Why? Because speaking in English, well, the prophetic prophecy, benefits everybody. But on the side, what he's saying is if you're praying in tongues on your own, all, in inverted commas, all that you are doing is building yourself up. 
Well, don't you want to be built up? Of course you do. Otherwise you wouldn't read the Bible or pray or take communion or come to church. Or... This is a means of building you up. It's a form of prayer. It builds you up. Verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, St. Paul says, my spirit prays. I often think this may be the most important aspect. But my mind is unfruitful. Now what does that mean? Uh, John Wesley used to say that God has bound himself to do nothing save in answer to prayer. And he waits. He has plans, he has hopes, and they are dependent upon him hearing people to pray. Now, if you look, think of the last, I think, the revival that you could probably call revival in this country was the Hebridean revival in the 50s, 1950s. Started about 20 years before with a group of, I say this to our shame men, older women, praying and praying and praying, Lord, send revival. Send revival. Send revival. And then after about 20 years, I don't know what happened, but something in the heavenlies went bang, and God said, okay, it's on. And anybody who came within 10 miles of that church in the middle there fell to the ground, confessed their sins, cried out to God for forgiveness, and the church grew and grew and grew. There were people queuing to get into the church at 3 or 4 in the morning because God had decided to move. And if I risk repeating myself, forgive me, but it's true. The house of faith that God is building today is being built on intercession. Now, how does this work, this verse? I think it works like this. You say, Lord, I'm willing to pray whatever you want me to pray. And he says, well, I've got a number of universes I'm running. There's quite a lot on. Is there anybody who's willing to pray without insisting on understanding exactly what I'm trying to do? And a little hand goes up and you say, Lord, I will. I don't need to understand what you're doing. I just need to know, though, that your spirit is inspiring my spirit to pray your prayer. And I pray in tongues. Uh, Annette stands by the sink. Of course, of course if, I, if I haven't got ecclesiastical duties, I'm beside her at the sink. But... If I can find any other duties, I'm probably elsewhere. But and she's praying in tongues. Our children are all grown up. The youngest is 31. We don't even know where they are, never mind what their needs are. But we know that they have needs. And we will pray in tongues. And then if you're in practice, you start in tongues. If the Lord puts something in English that you understand, you break off and pray in English. Then go back into tongues. That's why St. Paul says, as I say to Paul, the greatest the greatest pastor there's ever been apart from Jesus. He says, what shall I do then? Uh, mm, okay, I will pray with the mind and I'll pray with the spirit. I'll sing with the mind, I'll sing with the spirit. I'm not going to get overboard and do nothing but pray in tongues, nor am I going to get overboard and do nothing but pray in English. And he gives you what to pray. Paul says this in Romans, that we've grown. The spirit groans through us. He's praying. The spirit is praying. Because the spirit has views about what needs to be prayed. And God is longing to hear what needs to be prayed. And do you know what happens? When God in heaven hears the prayer that his spirit has inspired your spirit to pray, he says, Amen. And things begin to change. 
Now, I explained that to this young man, and he said, very sweetly, so lovely, I love these dear people. He said, you know, I think I need that. I said, I think you do too, and so do I. And I hope I'm right in saying this. God needs you to take this seriously, because there's a war on. And the enemy is busy telling you, oh, it's a waste of time. Or I had a friend who found himself, oh, yeah. oh I, I, a hundred different reasons. And the number of people that I've spoken to who once spoke in tongues but now have stopped, if I had a fiver for every one of them, I would be very rich. And I long to say to them, come on, get alive, understand the times of the times that God is now calling all men and women, all hands on deck to pray. And uh, I saw it very early on, actually, in my time at Holy Trinity. We used to have a lovely small group in our house. And we had this wonderful woman. And every time she came, she nearly drove me mad. Every time she came, she said, I do hope we're going to pray for Parliament tonight. So I said, no, I don't think... Well, I think it's a disgrace. We ought to. But look at them. They're sitting there. They're debating. Absolutely. But we can't do that every week. Because otherwise, it would be just her and Annette and me... The next night it would be Annette and her. <laughs> and the next time it would be her. Because <laughs> we can't all cope. And what I realized by the grace of God was that God was calling her to intercede for Parliament. So I said to her next time, I said, wacko, this is wonderful. I said, why don't you join up with X and Y and Z? Because they feel deeply about it too. And they're quite right. And she started a little group to intercede for Parliament which the rest of us couldn't cope with. But she could. So it's no good saying we ought to be concerned with Parliament. We ought, but we ought to be concerned with everything. But we can't. <laughs> but God had raised her up to do that. And intercessors of the world unite. And a number of you are here. And we talked about that last night. It's a very, very, very precious ministry. And if, you know, if anybody said to me, you know, going out from here, you're, if you're in charge of a church or you think you are, which may or may not be the same thing, <laughs> I would identify and affirm your intercessors. Um, because you're a very precious bunch. And um, on the whole, in most churches, you don't, get any, you don't get any reward. You have the understanding that one day in heaven, Jesus will say to you, well done. But meanwhile, you just have to struggle along, being misunderstood most of the time. <laughs> because it's a very strange gifting, ministry. You want to cry when everybody else is laughing because you are sensing what God feels about the millions of people out there who are on their way to destruction. And he's waiting for people to, to pray into existence that the things are still only in God's mind. And uh, I said that at one, one morning at the, the time of the so-called Toronto thing. I remember saying to them, you know, and I wasn't trying to be dramatic, it was just true. I said to them, you know, I think if you don't pray, we'll collapse. Because there were just letters after letters and criticism after criticism and some people were for it, and some people were against it, and there was just a fuss going on all the time. And a number of people sweetly said, and they wrote afterwards when they did at the time, they said, we feel called to pray for you and Annette and your children. I said, thank you very much. Nikki and Scylla and their children. Nikki and Pippa and their children. Because the enemy's after them. And if you want your church to grow, I should pray for its leaders. And they will pray for you. 
because the enemy doesn't like that, and they'll go for them. And yap at their heels and bark from under the sofa and criticize them. There's only so much criticism that one person can take. And it may not all be exactly as you want it to be. It may not be exactly run as you would run it or would like it to be run. <laughs> but if we're part of an organization, we need to support the organization. I, I always tried, always tried, never to ask the bishop any question to which I knew the answer would have to be no. Because <laughs> I don't want to, to say no. I want to support him because he's, he's over us. He supports us and we support him. There are many things that I would have done in a different way. But as my children would say, whatever. <laughs> Just support him and pray for him and get on with the work. So what did Jesus tell his disciples to do? We're full circle now, really, aren't we, into Acts 2. We've got the church, we've got the flourishing community, we've got the means of growth through our small group, through our praying in tongues, through our ministry with one another, through the, the groups that we've got and the community. What does he want us to do? He wants us to go out and tell the world that he's alive. And as Sir Francis apparently once said, using words if necessary. Go and make disciples, he said. Teach them to do what I taught you to do. It isn't difficult to understand what Jesus wants us to do. And some of you may know there's a legend that Jesus and Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, he must have been very practical, archangel, sorry, Gabriel, was sitting in front of the fire in heaven, apparently, on one occasion, and um, Gabriel said to Jesus, Lord, do you think they understand on earth what it costs you, going back to my diagram, to reconcile all these wonderful people to, to, to God, the Father, our Father. And Jesus said, yeah, I think they do. And Gabriel said, well, okay, that, you, you were there then, but the successive generations, um, have you made any plans for each new generation to hear about it? Jesus, as you know, is the, which is presumably why you're called what you're called, he's not the foundation of the church, he's the cornerstone. The foundations disappear, the cornerstone is in every generation each layer of the building. So Jesus is around. So um, Gabriel said, have you made any plans for each generation? And Jesus said, yeah, I have. Uh, it's the church. They're going to tell everybody. And Gabriel must be very practical, as I said, because he apparently said, Lord, have you got a plan B? <laughs> and Jesus said, no, I don't need a plan B. They will. They will. So the issue is, they will. And uh, it's just a question, isn't it, of seeking from God imaginative ways in which we can encourage people to discover Jesus. How can we do that? That's why I'm so keen on Alpha. Because Alpha is an ideal course. I didn't come to tell you all to do Alpha. Most of you are doing Alpha, I'm sure. But Alpha is an opportunity, particularly designed, as you know, Alpha course is designed for those who'd never go near a church who wouldn't call themselves Christian. So it's not designed really for old church goers who think it's a bit simple, which it is, but very profound. It's designed, though, as an outlet for those of us who would not call ourselves evangelists, who find it difficult 
to get up and start. You know, Nikki has a friend, a Nigerian, lovely um, young black man who he goes into, you know, he'll go into a happy eater, or I think they've come out of business, something like that, but a little chef or something, and he bangs the table and he says, oh, could I have silence for a couple of minutes? I want to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> and he talks to them about Jesus, and at the end of that, they all say, thank you so much. That was really, really interesting. I prayed with a man last night in our, in our pub, actually. I don't think he'd ever prayed in his life before. And it was a simple prayer. I asked him if he would like me to do that. And at the end of it, he said, you know, that was really beautiful. I don't know what, what was about it that was beautiful, except the sense of the Spirit of God. I don't know what will come of it. I'm pushing him like mad in the direction of the nearest Alpha course. <laughs> but it's an opportunity. And when we went to Aubra, I said to Annette, you know, we've talked about Alpha in various places in the world. We really ought to run an Alpha course. And uh, how many people do you think we had on our first course? One. One. It was so funny. And he rang up just near, just near the, 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 the beginning of the course. He said, am I too late to enroll on the Alpha course? I said, no, you're not. You're the only one, actually. And we're a very traditional household, as you can imagine. And the three of us watch the DVDs. Nikki's DVDs are absolutely brilliant. I hadn't seen the new ones. They are totally anointed. I was absolutely glued. We watched each talk one by one. And then at the end of the talk, Annette kindly went off and put the kettle on. And he and I chatted and prayed. The last course we did, we had 32 people. Only because we had two or three very sparky ladies who brought all their friends. And that's what you need. Sparky ladies. <laughs> Lord, send us sparky ladies. And we had about 30, and we're going to have another one this autumn. So please, God. Why? Because it's such an easy thing to do. I just put in the DVD, and it puts on the kettle. Away we go. People come to the Lord. And it's, as you know, growing faster than anything. If you've got a better way of bringing people to Christ, I should go for that. But it's going. So now we've got the relationship with the Lord. We are the community that God has raised up to be reconciled to him, to complete his happiness, to make sure he has people because he's sociable in heaven and on earth. He's given us a community to do it together with. And he's given us a task. And uh, I always said when our children were growing up that if I ever met the inventor of Lego, I would hug him and hug him and hug him. Because it's no good telling children to be good if you don't give them something to do. It's the same with the church. If we haven't got enough to do, we'll turn inwards and start bickering, complaining because the service started late or the hymn was too long. <laughs> Just get something to do. And there's a world out there. And new and imaginative ways of doing it are... The Lord will tell you whatever it is. Each of us and all of us can do it. There was a priest in the northeast of, of um, London, a Catholic, northeast uh, of England, Catholic priest. He used to grab all the mums and children at the, at, the, at the school door because they all wanted their children educated by the Catholic Church without the um, necessity of having to turn up at the Catholic Church themselves. So they would drop the children. He would grab them, the mothers, give them a cup of coffee, alpha, and then let them go to catch, let the children, collect the children. Worked very well. He had hundreds of people through his alpha courses. Just imagination. Uh, whatever the imagination gives. 
but it's, it's not an option. Uh, and it isn't something to make us feel guilty. You don't have to try. You just have to go through the process that we've been through this morning and this afternoon. Realize who we are. Realize that we're free. God has set you free not to try, just to be. And as you are, and as you smile, and as you gather people around you, get your friends and in a group that keeps you going, and every time confess whatever is wrong, get up and on we go again. Then we'll find that it's true. The early churches, you know, never set out to prove the resurrection. Um, I was so struck years ago, it used to be possible, you know, there were always television programs around Easter. It used to be possible to find some bishop who didn't really agree, you know, and, and two or three wise people. I remember one night coming and we'd been out to dinner or supper somewhere, and there was this program on, and there were three wise men. Wise men come from the West nowadays, from Ealing, not the East as they used to. And they were sitting around this table, and as I switched on the telly, we, the program was halfway through, and one of them was stroking his chin saying, you know, I find the whole idea of resurrection highly improbable. And all the others went, mm -hmm. <laughs> And I remember thinking, as I saw it, I, I don't know, I, I just felt it was God. You know, I thought to myself, that's the whole point. It's not only highly improbable, it's totally impossible. <laughs> Unless God does it. Amen. And the early church never set out to prove the resurrection. They started from the resurrection. This Jesus whom you killed is alive. Now what are the implications of that? And as they preached in the power of the Spirit, with the love of the Lord and a smile on their faces, people one by one by one cried out, what are we to do? What are we to do? Repent and be baptized. Amen? Amen. So we minister, we minister to you, to one another, it's like a sort of hospital. But hospitals don't, nowadays particularly, they don't hang on to their patients for very long. <laughs> You're out <laughs> to do the work that God has called you to do. So you're ministered here, and you take that off out into the rest of the world. Amen? Amen. He's called you. Would you like to stand? I'm going to pray for you again, and just simply pray that you would... Um, Receive all that God wants for you, and let's see what happens. Again, as you know, it isn't a, a one-off, as it were. It's a constant life of ministry. Ministering to others in small groups, in big groups. They minister to you, you minister to them. In order that we may be effective in the ministry that God's given us. Father, we thank you once again for your great grace, power, and love. We thank you, Lord, that though we're conscious we let you down again and again, but you pick us up. Thank you that you've called into existence, Lord, a, a radical church. It's not the reformation of the church that you're looking for. It's the reformation of the church around the person of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit, fill us once again. Fill us, Lord, and release, Lord, ministries in this building this afternoon that thousands in the valley of decision may be turned from darkness to light through the ministries that you're releasing here. 
come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. And again, just in your heart of hearts, just I would encourage you, just say, Lord, thank you. Don't, don't say, Lord, I don't feel anything. Just say, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are filling me with your spirit, whatever I feel or not feel, and I'll see the fruit of it when I go off out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I tell you what I'd love us to do if you're happy. We're going to sing that little song, You Are Lord. I often do this, but it's a way in to make it easier for you. You are Lord. You're my Lord. And then at the end of You're my Lord, we're going to go straight into singing in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Now again, if I can just tell you what's going on in your mind, one or two of you are saying, well, I'm not going to. <laughs> You'll say it nicer than that. But I think what the Lord is... You know, I've had some experience of this, to be honest. When the Lord said to um, somebody who was praying with Annette once, please don't say you don't do what I've just asked you to do. And that's what a radical church does. Whatever God asks us to do, we do. And um, when we start, you just start. How do you do that? Well, I don't know. You just sort of start. Just like you do with speaking, you start to speak and you find you start. Singing in the Spirit, you just start to sing. You can do that and God will give you the words. When you receive the Spirit, you start to love people you wouldn't otherwise have loved. And that's how you know that you've been filled with the Spirit. And you choose what Ollie was talking about. You choose to love somebody, not that you find easy to love, but who you don't find easy to love. And you find the love flowing freely through you. All right? So let's sing. Just put up with my voice. I'd love to encourage you, if you may, whenever you're singing in the Spirit, um, I love us to sing it unaccompanied. Because I love the band, and I love the instruments, and I love the worship. It's not a criticism at all. It's very hard to change key if it's one of you against an array of electronic instruments. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit often modulates and changes. Some of you may know um, Talis's music. A lot of it is an annotation of singing in the Spirit with wonderful, unique, Spirit-filled harmonies which would be otherwise very difficult to achieve, humanly speaking. Let's start. You are Lord. You are Lord. You have risen from the dead. You have risen from the dead. And you are Lord. my Lord. You're my Lord. You're my Lord. You're my Lord. You have risen from the dead and you're my Lord.
Now let's carry on on that arpeggio toradienda rasabo. And if you do sing, please sing out. And listen to those around you. Toradienda on that arpeggio still. Toradienda rasabo. Now think of the Jesus risen and ascended and glorified. Think of him, and if you've never sung in the spirit, just think of Jesus and start to sing. He'll give you the words. Just start. If you've never done it or haven't done it recently, just start again. Open your mouth, choose to sing, and he'll give you the words. Abba somayen I think the Lord wants me to say something like this to you. 
all of you. I've called you. I've called you because I love you. I haven't called you for what I can get out of you. I've put my spirit within you. And you will go to those to whom I send you. Tell them that I love them. Show them that I love them. For I'm with you. I'm with you. Thank you, Lord. I would receive that if I were you. Just thank the Lord. The old divines used to say, how you can love us as you do and be the God thou art is darkness to my intellect, but sunshine to my heart. It's a complete mystery that God's glory involves loving the unworthy, and we're called to that same mission. Now, one or two of you, I suspect, have words of knowledge, uh, a, a feeling of pain somewhere that you didn't have before, or a word or something. This is a good opportunity just to minister to one another. You just have to shout it out if you don't mind, or come to the front if you'd like to. It's difficult in a group of this size. Well, I think the smaller group is very key. But if there is anybody, please do. Lord, I pray that you breathe into these slain that they may live. <coughs> breathe life into the dead places. Breathe life into if dead ministries. Breathe renewal. Breathe life into the slain that they may live. As we were singing out in tongues, I had a picture of um, a tractor plowing a field and that sense of us, each of us was sort of pushing in and stepping out in faith for some of us, but actually it was like a, like, like a tractor is when it goes out into a field and it's plowing up the ground and that sense that as we sort of step out in that sort of spiritual realm, that we're sort of doing spiritual plowing and that as we go back into our homes and our families and our workplaces and shops, actually it'll be that the, the ground will have been plowed and furrowed and, and ready for the seeds that we're then going to sow as we sort of step out in our faith and in our worship, um, God sort of, um, uh, yeah, plowing up the ground and there'll be, uh, then things will grow and there'll be yeah, receptive ground and ready. Annette had a word last night too and, and she may have another one, a different one, but I'd love you to give what you gave last night. Um, in the train coming over, I thought the Lord was saying that he's breathing on you. He's, the wind is blowing, and the wind is blowing much more, um, almost a gale force, so that you're going to be uh, used in new and wonderful ways. But the harvest out there is plentiful, and the laborers are few, and uh, he wants you to go out into the harvest fields. The wind is blowing on the harvest fields. He wants you to go out into the harvest fields.
they feel they've been discarded but the Lord is saying you're not discarded to me you're precious and just as the Japanese when they have a, uh, a porcelain vase that's got broken they don't throw it away or discard it they pour gold into the cracks and form something new and something beautiful and, and so the cracks are still visible the wounds and the scars are still visible but the Lord uses them the Lord will use them to make a thing of beauty that will bring forgiveness and peace and reconciliation and love into this world so I just want to pray that that will be an encouragement for all of us thank you thank you let's respond to that if you feel that that's you in any sense at all just quietly stand where you are we're going to pray for you and I want you to recognize that the Lord is healing that and he's dealing with that. Just stand quietly and we're going to pray. And you can dare to believe that the Lord is pouring gold into those cracks. You're being recommissioned. The church is the community of forgiven sinners, of healed, broken reeds. Wounded soldiers, equipped and ready for, for battle again. Father, we pray you'd pour out your spirit into these men and women, Lord, once again, in response to your word of encouragement to them. Come. Come, come, Holy Spirit, from the four corners of the world and breathe on these slain that they may live. As Ezekiel puts it, a God who desires not the death of a sinner, but rather that he may turn from his wickedness and live, that the wounded may be healed, that God may be glorified once again through your life. And in Jesus' name, we set you free, not to try, just to be. Thank you, Lord. I just had a thought, really, looking around the people here. I don't know how many couples are the same as our families. Uh, um, Sandy did say about the crisis in the church. And I think we can all see in, in our families, we have got five children, Rosie and I. And they have all drifted away from the church. And what I would like to think, that perhaps tomorrow, uh, when I go to my church, I will be brave enough to say after the prayers, please, please have some prayer with your family and see if you can get them back. Because I think we all are losing one generation. And I'd like to think, yes, I'm brave enough to do that. And I was going to suggest to the congregation at my church, which is down at Morton, perhaps at 10 o'clock tonight, we could all together pray for our children and our families to come back to the church. See what it happens. The power of the of prayer, I'm sure, is very strong. And Sandy, we do appreciate what you've said and hope it's hit home, at least with me, anyway. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Well, you're on safe ground praying for the unity of our couples, churches, individuals. Why don't you do that now? Pray for the children. Uh, yeah, let's do it. 
I tell you what, I'll, let me do that. If, if you have children that you'd like to be included in this prayer, just stand. Father, your promise was that when the Spirit comes, the hearts of the children will be turned to the fathers and the fathers to the children and by implication, Lord, to husbands and wives. We pray, Lord, for the children represented here. We thank you for them. We ask, Lord, that you'd set abroad now such a, a fresh anointing and power. Lord, these, these dear children, Lord, have been baptized, I'm sure. And you promised at that moment, Lord, that you'd keep your hand upon them. Now, Lord, we ask you to redeem that promise, to draw them back, to give them no rest, Lord, until they seek you again and come back. And you've given them a long lead as you gave us a long lead. So we love them and we thank you for them and we thank you, Lord, for the vision that you once gave us for them. Now we commit ourselves to pray for them, Lord, every day that you will draw them back to yourself and bring them into the vineyard and send them out to do what you call them to do amongst their group of friends, their work colleagues, the community that they live in. Bring about revival, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Sandy and Annette, for blessing us and charging us up. Anyone else feel kind of inspired and ready to go? Go get them. Excellent. We're going to come into church tomorrow morning ready to press in and head into Monday morning ready to step out and do all the things if you can remember them. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming. Please have a safe uh, trip home and uh, God bless you richly. Thank you.